0: Listening to the Echo Community Church podcast, we have a passion for being and making disciples of Jesus Christ. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we hope this podcast inspires you to take another step. Let's join our pastor for today's teaching from the Bible. The Bible is a story, and we love human beings love stories. Every culture on the face of the earth has stories, and the Bible is a big story. And it's a story about where we came from, who we are, uh, what went wrong, and what God did about it, and what God's doing about it. That's what's in the Bible, and the Bible is one gigantic story filled with shorter stories. And we've been looking at one of those stories for the last couple weeks. It's the story of a young man named Samuel, and Kids, if you want to get out, those of you that are here in our in-person crowd, if you want to get out your worship packs, there is, um, for those of you that can't write words yet, there's a coloring sheet in there for you and a craft that you can work on. Um, Some of my older kids that are uh, able to write and write words and sentences, there's a sheet for you to complete too as we go along in the story. And for all of our kids at the end of the service, um, on your way out today, you can stop by the prize table. And if you have that completed sheet Done. You can show that over to our team at the prize table. Abby, are you out there today? Who's out there to Abby? Abby's gonna be out there today. And you can show that sheet to her and she will give you a prize. Grown-ups. I'm still working on your prizes. I don't know. I know some of you really want prizes. Grown-ups are a little tougher, you know. It's like you want custom prizes. I don't know the one prize you would all like. I don't know what to ask you to do to give you a prize, but I know you want prizes and prizes you shall have because even grown-ups like prizes. That's okay. So, you never outgrow. Moses says, amen. We never outgrow our love for prizes. But um, as you're looking at that, Grown-ups and students, if you want to find 1 Samuel chapter 8, you can log on your Bible or open up your Bible. We're going to be in 1 Samuel 8. Now, you might remember last time we left off in 1 Samuel chapter 3. That means there's been five chapters of story that happened between last week's story and today's story. And I know you're thinking that's going to take Pastor Phil a long time. The good news is we have friends at a group called The Bible Project. They make really, really cool animated videos that are short and very well done with pictures and words that tell us um, they have one for every book of the Bible on their website and they're all free uh, for us to look at. So I'm going to invite those of you that are here in person uh, to turn your attention to the screens. We're going to watch a three-minute video that's going to start at the beginning of the book of Samuel and bring us right up to today's story that we're going to talk about. So check this out. Yeah, their motives are all wrong, Samuel. Nevertheless, give them what they want. Do you really want God to give you everything you've ever asked him for? Probably not. But where we'll be in this week's stories, we're going to talk about that conversation. How did Samuel feel when the elders came to him and said, we don't want you anymore. We want a king. Go get us one how God responded to that and and what happened next. I love the story of Samuel in the Old Testament. Do you know why? Because the Bible tells us so much about his whole life. Some people in the Bible we know about their childhood years. Some people we know about just one afternoon in their life and we wonder what happened next. Uh, Other people, we get just their older years. We don't know where they came from, what their backstory was. With Samuel, we find out about his parents before he was born. We find out about his life as a baby, as a little child, as like an elementary age kid. And then we know a little bit about his teenage years, his young adult years up to about the age of 30, some of his middle adult years, which back then would have been considered between the ages of 30 and 50, and about his later years. And the the way we know that is because the author of The book of Samuel includes something called a summary statement. A summary statement was just a couple sentences at the end of a chapter of someone's life that summarized the most important things it wants the readers to know in just a few words. So it doesn't give you all the details. It just gives you a big picture in a few words of what you need to know. So I'm going to read to you two of those summary statements. Because the author of this book of the Bible wants you to know these things about Samuel when it comes to the story we're going to talk about. Because it opens up more of the story for you to understand what led us to that point. So I'm going to read this first statement to you. And then I'm going to ask you a question. I'm gonna tell you the question I'm gonna ask you in advance. The question I'm gonna ask you is what does this statement tell you about Samuel's teenage and young adult years? There's three or four things you can pick up. Let me read the summary statement to you. This statement was written right after the scene ends with Samuel and Eli talking about what he heard from God when God woke Samuel up in the middle of the night. So it's written right after that scene from like his elementary years. Here's what it says. As Samuel grew up, The Lord was with him, and everything Samuel said proved to be, Do you see that next word? Reliable. And all Israel, from Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south, knew that Samuel was confirmed as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh and gave messages to Samuel there at the tabernacle. Now that's everything we know from the Bible about Samuel's life from elementary up through probably to about age 30. What does this tell you? What does does the writer of the Bible want you to see about his life? Anybody be brave enough to call one out to me? What's one thing you see in there about Samuel? What's one thing you know about his teenage and young adult years? The Lord was with him. Wouldn't you like that to be said of you? When someone says, hey, describe Hadassah to me. I'll tell you, she walks close to Jesus. You can just tell she is a very godly woman. The Lord was with him. Probably couldn't be said of everybody in Israel of that time. But the Bible is very clear that the Lord was with Samuel. And Samuel was with the Lord. What's something else you see there? His Oh, man, that's a good one. His words were reliable. Now, I'll ask you an easy one. It's Sunday. It's early for some of you. What's the opposite of reliable? Unreliable. Do you know anybody who's unreliable? Oh, yeah. Do you work with anybody who's unreliable? Have you ever hired somebody to do work on your house or you know, make an appointment or hook up your cable or that they weren't reliable? Is that the type of reputation you want to have? Do you want people to say of you, you know, great guy, hilarious, wonderful friend, totally unreliable. That's not a quality we hold in high regard. The Bible wants you to see not only was Samuel reliable, it says everything he said was reliable. It was accurate. It was true. It proved a point. It was indisputable. It was reliable. You could trust his words. You could take his words to the bank. And that's important because there's another thing we learn in here. He had a reputation. It actually tells us um, he had a second job. And when I say second, he had a first job. Do you know what job did Samuel train for from when he was a little child? So it's with letter P. He trained to be a what? Well, that's what this verse says. What about when he was a little boy? He wasn't training to be a prophet. He was training to be what? A priest, you know a priest and a prophet were different, usually different people. Israel always had a priest. They didn't always have a prophet. A priest, you had to kind of be born into that, be from the right tribe. You generally served from the ages of 30 to the age of 50. A priest represented the people. So God, you didn't go to God for your own self back in this day. That wasn't the way the relationship worked. It was covenant. It was a theocracy. You had to have somebody represent you to God because God is totally unlike us. God is holy. We are unholy. God is perfect. We are imperfect. We're very unlike God. You couldn't just wander into God's presence for yourself. You had to have somebody to represent you. And that's what the priests did. The priests oversaw the tabernacle. The priests taught the people what it means to obey the scriptures. To obey the law. They helped them work through all the different steps. If someone sinned, they had to come to the priest. If someone needed to worship and bring an offering, they brought it to the priest, and they would present it to the priest. And the priest, on their behalf, would present it to God. That's what Samuel grew up learning. He had a good mentor. Who was his mentor? Eli. Very good. Some of you were here the last three weeks. Awesome. Thank you, Moses. Yeah. But this verse says he had a second job. He didn't stop being the priest. But some of you got it. What's the second Job we saw that he had. This is very unusual to be both. He was also a what? Prophet. Priest represented the people to God. A prophet represented God to the people. When God wanted to deliver a specific message to the group of people, he didn't wake up everybody in the night and talk to them kind of like you experience today. God would talk to one person, a prophet. Now we've heard of other people in the Old Testament who had more than one job. We talked about them. There's a young lady by the name of Deborah. That we talked about a few weeks ago in the book of judges she was both a judge and a prophet she was a dual threat she had two jobs samuel was a prophet prophet's job was somebody that god picked to give them specific messages to relay exactly on his behalf to the people so if you were going to be a prophet there was one thing you had to be and that is reliable There are people today who like to toss around the job title of prophet. And all I will say is be very, very cautious about anybody who says, I am a prophet. Not that they're not, because one of the spiritual gifts God gives us to some of us is the gift of prophecy. God will give you a specific message for a specific individual or group of people and expect you to re- communicate that form. But the Bible also says be careful because lots of people will go around saying they heard from God, but they won't be reliable. They won't be accurate. And that can really damage people. If someone comes to you and says, here's a message from God to you and they're even a little bit off, a little bit inaccurate, that can derail your whole life. So in the Old Testament, the way they knew a prophet was someone who obviously heard from God and everything they said was reliable and accurate. And so they held those people in very high regard. And at this time, there's one prophet in the whole tribal confederacy of Israel and that's Samuel. And everybody from the tip of Maine to Florida to California to, you know, to Virginia, if this were the United States, it says everybody from the north to the south, the east, they all knew Samuel was reliable, the Lord was with them, and the Lord continued to appear to him and give him messages. The Bible wants you to understand this is the type of person we're dealing with here. A very upright, moral, godly, reliable man who had a great reputation with everybody for being someone who heard from God and whose advice and counsel was authoritative and should be trusted. He got a little older. Some more life happened. You saw it in the video. Some more life happened. had a battle with the Philistines. Ark was stolen and returned. There's another summary statement that's written right after the Ark is returned to Israel. 1 Samuel 7, verses 15 through 17. Let me read this to you. Samuel continued... Now you're going to get his third job. He's a priest. He's also a prophet. He's doing these two things simultaneously. Now we see he got the third job. There's basically three leadership jobs, four if you count elders. You had prophets and this time. They didn't have kings yet. They were led by their own tribal elders. And then the nation shared generally people who served as a judge or a prophet or a priest. We already knew he grew up a priest and kept being a priest. God used him as a prophet and now we see he was a triple threat. He had three, three roles, three jobs. Nobody else in the Old Testament that I know of is it spelled out this clearly even though some of them functioned in those different roles. The Bible tells us this is how good and godly and capable of a man that Samuel was with the Lord's leisure performance. He continued as Israel's judge for the rest of his life. He never retired. Here's what he did. Each year, he traveled around setting up his court first at Bethel, then at Gilgal, and then at Mizpah. He judged the people of Israel at each of these places. Then he'd return to his home at Ramah. That's where we get the, term, uh, the Ramah word from God. And he would hear cases there too. And Samuel built an altar to the Lord at Ramah. So we know about his childhood. We know about his young adult years. What does the writer of Samuel want us to know about his, those 20 years between 30 and 50? What do you see here? He was Israel's judge. What did a judge do? It tells you what what was his itinerary like for twenty years or so. Tell me about it. What was it? What did he do a lot? Traveled, not business class, not on Greyhound bus, not Uber. He's walking, logging a lot of miles, and he was going from one town to another town. What did he do when he got to town? Tells us. Set up court. Now, some of you might know Judge Judy and Judge Joe Brown. My era, we knew Judge Wapner and Rusty the bailiff. The people's court. Go on YouTube sometime and watch it if you have no idea what I'm talking about. Great television. That's where all today's court shows come from. He would go from town to town setting up court. And what does it say? He heard people's cases. I won't go deep into this, but the reason Israel had people like judges was to judge. Judge means to make a decision for or against And Israel's law has lots of different things that God gave them, lots of different strategies and methods to try and resolve conflicts in your family and conflicts with other people in town and conflicts with outsiders. But if you couldn't resolve the matter, sometimes you needed to get somebody else involved who could look at the evidence. And decide right from wrong. And come up with a solution to the most difficult of problems. That's what, Saint. for 20 years, he traveled around hearing the worst of the worst garbage <laughs> in people's messes. The ones they couldn't fix themselves. And people would come from all over the nation to the town where he'd be setting up. And they trusted this man that if they could bring their problem to him, he'd solve it. And you know, in all of the Bible, we don't have any stories of a time where he made the wrong choice, where he was involved in a scandal or where he did anything other than hear people and trust the gift of, in the leadership that God had given him and go to the Lord in prayer as a prophet and hear from God and help people live at peace and resolve difficulties. I've always told people, if you want to keep your job, solve more problems than you make. But we all make problems. We're not proud of it, but we do. But you you want your boss to keep you around for a while? You want to prove your value to your group or to your team? Solve more problems than you make. Samuel went around solving problems that people couldn't solve on their own. He was reliable as a prophet, reliable as a judge, reliable as a priest. That's what the Bible wants you to know about this guy. Everybody knew and trusted his leadership. And that's what you're supposed to have in mind when there's the shocking twist of the story that comes in that conversation we left off with. There's a meeting that takes place that we're going to look at just briefly in these last few moments together this morning. You had prophets, you had priests, you had judges. Samuel was all three of those roles. There was one other form of leadership in Israel at that time. I told you before, at this point in the story of Israel, they don't have a king and it comes after the time when God would raise up individual leaders he raised up Moses for a while to be their leader lead them out of Egypt then Joshua came after Moses led them into the promised land and used their military to drive out some but not all of the people and go from wanderers to settlers then after that all 12 tribes settled in different areas and they didn't really have a national president vice president they didn't have a congress they didn't have a federal government they didn't have income you know federal income tax they didn't have a national army they didn't have a system of roads or education every individual tribe had their own way of leadership. It was called a tribal confederacy. They were still one nation, but they were they identified more with their tribe than they did with their nation at that point. Every individual tribe was led by a group of people called elders. There are still cultures today where the elders carry the weight of a particular, there's still tribal leadership in the world today. It might not be normal here in the US, but it's very normal in other parts of the world. You can talk to people in this congregation who come from nations where that's kind of the way that it is. And in those nations, it doesn't, you know, what really matters is what tribe you're from. That determines how much weight you have in making decisions, how much financial power you have. Um, and, And every tribe was a little bit different. Every tribe was led by a group of people called elders. The oldest, usually the oldest male influential people from that tribe, from the top families formed that group of elders. So when we talk about the Israelites came to Samuel and had a meeting, it wasn't all of Israel. It was only the elders of the 12 tribes. They come to Samuel to have a meeting and they're going to share something really difficult with him. And they have bad motives. They're not happy. They're not pleased with the way things are going. They knew that way back in Deuteronomy, they knew God promised Abraham that God would bring kings into the world. They didn't have a king not a visible one. They had a king. (laughs) They had a king, God Almighty. But they wanted a king they could see. They were tired of having to go to a judge all the time. And they knew God promised them a king. In fact, even Hannah in her prayer in 1 Samuel chapter 3, 4, 2, 1 Samuel chapter 2, she even prophesies in her prayer that she knows that God is going to one day bring a Messiah king to their people. It wasn't bad for them to want a king. God told them the two things that happened wrong here was that they come very disrespectfully to their leader. Their motives were wrong and their timing was wrong. Here's what happens. Let me read to you this conversation finally all the elders of leader take a business trip to Samuel's hometown of Ramah to discuss. And I, I'm going to ask you in a moment if you really think that's what they were coming there to do. Were they coming for a discussion? Were they coming for a conversation? Were they coming to get counsel? Saying, you know, we've got this idea for how we think our government could change. What do you think, Samuel? Or did they come under the guise of a discussion, but their mind and their heart was already made up. Here's what they say. I don't want you to... Here, husbands, take note. I want you to look at the first word they used to address the man who had re- led them reliably for his whole life. They start off a difficult conversation. Here's how they started off. Of all the ways you could start off a conversation with somebody. Husband, everybody, look at this. First word they say, what do they say? Look. Has any conversation ended well that started that way? Doesn't it show you their heart right out of the gate? You know, sometimes when someone comes to talk to you about something, what people say mean things and the tone people use means something. Haven't you ever been in a conversation where just the very first 2 seconds of the conversation already did something inside of you when you heard it? The word, the look in the eyes, the tone communicates a lot. Look, they told him, you are now old. He doesn't deserve this. What did he do to deserve that? What must be going on inside the elders that they would come to the man who walked faithfully with God, who judged them without scandal, who was a reliable prophet and a good leader to them, What would so infiltrate a person's heart that you would march into the office of one of your leaders and say, Look, you're too old. You're not relevant. You don't get it. You've been in the corporate side too long. You've forgotten what it's like to be down here. You don't relate to us or maybe this. What do you know? You're too young. Look, you're a woman. What could you possibly understand? Look, you've never walked a mile in my shoes. They continue on, and your sons are not like you. Samuel probably already knew he was getting old, and before this story, he starts handing off some of his responsibilities to the next generation, even though scholars will tell you he's no younger than 54, no older than 60 in this story. His sons didn't live very close to him geographically, but his sons weren't the man that Samuel was. They didn't live the same type of completely upright moral life they cut some corners they didn't toe the line like samuel did and in their roles of trying to be priests and religious leaders there were holes in their immaturity and in their sinfulness and the people decided to look into samuel's life if you don't want to listen to somebody who's telling you the truth you're pretty good at finding a reason to discredit them that's one of our defenses If someone tells us something that's true that we don't want to hear, rather than being challenged by it, we just find a way to assassinate the messenger. i got news for you. If God's going to speak to you through a human being, he will always use an imperfect one. Anytime God speaks to you through a human, it will always be somebody who's got issues, flaws, weaknesses, sins, brokenness, hypocrisies, and imperfections. The only perfect messenger ever sent to this earth was Jesus. And how well did they listen to him? God will constantly try and transmit truth to you. And it will only come through the mouths of people who have brokenness in their lives. And some of them will be more obviously broken than others. Some of them will be more obviously hypocritical than others. And this message today isn't about how you decide what voice to listen to when correction comes your way or when someone tells you no. The message is more about this. When correction comes your way and when someone tells you something you don't like to hear in the way you don't like to hear it, there's one question you need to ask first. And the question is, is what they're saying true? Is what they're saying true? Here you have a group of people who say, here's the two reasons we're not going to listen to you anymore, leader. You're too old and your son's are a bad example. You've not done a good job parenting. And for those two reasons, we are justified and not listening to you anymore. And in a moment, Samuel's going to speak back into their life and he's going to speak truth into their life. And they still don't listen. And here's my question. When someone comes into your life and says something to you that you don't like to hear, that's a challenge to you. That's an offense to you. That's an indictment against you. Is what they're saying true? Well, you don't know my boss. My boss comes in late and leaves early every day. My boss is sloppy. My boss is not reliable. My boss is mean. My boss has it out for me. And my boss had the nerve to walk into my office and write me up for being 15 minutes late three days in a row. Can you believe her? Here's my question. Were you late? 15 minutes, three days in a row. Well, that's not the point. The point is they're a hypocrite. The point is they are no different than you. You're both lost. You're both broken. And you both believe the same lie. And that lie you believe You came into the world believing every little child comes into the world believing the same lie. And that lie says, I have the right, the privilege and the responsibility to do what I think is best. Why are you so angry at your boss? Is it because they're breaking God's law? Is it because you were unfairly accused or because they're pointing out to you something about your life that you're doing the way you want to do it and you don't like it and you don't want to listen to it and you push back against it and you decide you're going to write them off because you want to live your way. Thank you very much. And who are they to tell you? And you're no different than your own children. We are much more like our kids than unlike our kids because they're fighting against the same lie. This is why your five-year-old will scream bloody murder when you try and tell them they cannot have ice cream and Pringles for dinner. But I want ice cream and Pringles. No, we're having broccoli and chicken. I don't want that. I want ice cream and Pringles. No, we're... Listen. I pay for every scrap of clothes on your body. Uh, Do you have any idea what I do to put this food on the table. I do it to make your life better so that you can be happy. And at no point has any five-year-old in that moment said, you know what, this is a wise person. They're showing me the error in my own heart. (laughs) The problem is you have a five-year-old who is saying to you, Nobody will tell me what I will put in my mouth to eat. Try me. The same way you're saying nobody can tell me about coming in 15 minutes late to work. Is what they're saying to you true? Let's move on. Look, they told him, you're now old and your sons are not like you. Give us a king to judge us like all the other nations have. Verse six, Samuel was displeased with their request and went to the Lord for guidance. Of course he was displeased. Put yourself in Samuel's shoes for a second. You could use a lot of different words there. He was probably hurt, offended. You think he was angry? I would be. The elders stepped to him in a way that no child should step to a dad, no congregant should step to a pastor. No employee should step to a boss. It doesn't mean that people are above accountability, but there is a way to hold people accountable with respect and honor. Their way is by saying, we don't want to listen to you. You go to God on our behalf. We still need you to work for us because we can't go to God. We need you to go to God, but we're not going to listen to you anymore. We don't want you as judge. We want a visible king like everybody else has like God promises go to God and tell him now this is what we want Samuel's hurt he's offended they've just told him he's old and irrelevant they've thrown his kids up in his face and Samuel goes to God and God discerns exactly what Samuel's feeling and here's what God says crazy advice what's the first thing he says do everything they say to you Samuel what What are they asking for? They're asking for the opposite of what God is doing in their life. They're asking for something that God is not ready to give for them because they're not ready for it yet. But they think they are. And they go to God in a prayer. Essentially, it's like God saying, I really, 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 really want this job. And God knows you really, 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 really aren't ready for that job. I really, 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 really want to be married. And God knows you're really, 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 really not ready to be married yet. I really, 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 really want because I think. And I can even line it up with your word. So give it to me now. And God's first answer is not yet, not yet, not yet. And now God says, you know what, Samuel? They really, really, really want. Do everything they say. What? God gives them a reason. Here's why do everything they say because they're rejecting me what as a parent you're like this is not the behavior i want to reward i don't want to give in when they're down there throwing a tantrum kicking their feet on the ground saying i want ice cream and pringles and you finally say you know what what a great idea i'm sorry son what was they thinking let me put that broccoli away how much ice cream would you like would you like all three flavors of pringles Would you like to shove them in your mouth in one stack and choose so that the crumbs disperse across the floor so I can then clean up for an hour after dinner? Go for it. This is not the parental model that we want. But this is what God says. Do everything they say to you. Here's why. Because they're rejecting me, not you. They don't want me to be their king any longer. Now we get to the root of the matter. He continues. Let's keep reading ever since i brought them from egypt in other words this is not a new problem samuel they've continually abandoned me and they followed other gods and samuel this isn't about this isn't about you it's about me because now they're giving you the same treatment do as they ask but before you ask. Let's reason with them one more time. Let's make sure they understand what they're asking for. Be careful what you ask for. Your motives will always give birth to your requests. What's the motive you're attaching to what you're asking God for? He says, solemnly warn them about the way of the king. It's a mouthful of what God's doing here, and I wish I had time to talk about all of it in detail. First thing he's saying, Samuel, Samuel does something pretty wise here. Let me just pause for a moment. Samuel does something pretty wise. Someone marches into his office. They disrespect him. They tell him he's irrelevant. They tell him he's too old. They tell him they don't want to listen to him anymore. Now, he's, now he has to listen to them. And they bring up his family issues and throw it in his face as a reason to discredit his leadership. I don't know about you, but generally speaking, the few times in life I've been in anything even similar, the last thing I'm thinking is, you know what, you just sit here, can I get you some water? I need to go pray for a minute. He stops before he responds, and he goes and gets guidance from God. And then he comes back and responds. Usually what happens is we let him have it, and then we go and ask God to co-sign it. Now, God, I already laid out exactly what he, I, I just pray you you, you vindicate me and you, you squash them and this and that. And that's not what Samuel does. He goes to God, but God discerns what's going on in his heart. Here's the advice he gives him. You're going to be in this situation, leaders, parents, grandparents, bosses, entrepreneurs. You're going to be in this position when you lead people, ministry leaders. People are going to come to you at times. They're going to disrespect you. They're going to come with the wrong motives. They're not going to come correct they're going to say something to you that is harsh and unfair and unwise and here's the temptation you're going to want to take it personally you know what god says to samuel twice here do not take something personally that is not meant to be personal because when you take something personally you act out of anger you miss ministry opportunities and you administer a short answer that doesn't solve the problem that was a whole message in 30 seconds i've never done that in my life but there's one okay He says, don't take this personally. I'm going to say it this way. He's saying, Samuel, the reason they're acting like that is because there's a broken vertical relationship. They are spoiled, lost children who have a underlying root problem of rejecting any leadership that doesn't do what they want. They want leaders that will endorse them and co-sign them, not lead them, not challenge them, not correct them. They want a king who they can see who will agree with everything they agree with and who will never challenge them to do anything other than what they're doing. That's the type of leadership they want. That's what they want from me, he's saying to Samuel. And for a year after, year, they've constantly abandoned me. Every time they don't like my rules, every time they don't like my ways, they've abandoned me. And he's saying, this is not about you. This is about me. It's just showing up horizontally. I want to tell you something. You need to learn to be able to step back for a second when you're in the middle of these situations and say, before I lose it here, is it possible that this horizontal thing is not the real problem, that there's something broken in their relationship with my heavenly father. And it's just showing up in the way they're treating other people. Because if you'll do that, you'll find opportunities to minister to people. God wants you to see that. He wanted Samuel to see this. Parents, he puts you in places to see your kids fighting with each other, not so that you can rain down on them, but that you can minister to them. He puts you in positions to see where they, heaven forbid, need parenting even if it's after 10.30 at night. It's God in his grace opening up to somebody he's trusted to be an instrument of his grace in that person's life to see the problem so they can minister to it. So what does he say to Samuel? Don't take it personally. This is a cycle in their life. Do everything they say, even though they're rejecting me. Be careful what you ask for. And he says, go back to them, but reason with them first. I want them to be fully aware Of what they're saying here so samuel goes back to him and says listen um i talked to the lord and here's what he says he wants the lord wants me to remind you of some things you don't know about a king yet and samuel rolls out for them he says listen here's what you're not thinking about if you have a king guess what kings are expensive you don't pay any federal taxes yet guess what when the king comes around you're going to be taxed big time on top of all the giving you already do the tithes the offerings You're going to be taxed because kings are expensive. They have big houses, big budgets. Secondly, kings can force you into labor. You like working your own little entrepreneurial life on the farm? If you look like you can work hard, the king can come right down and force you to go work for him on his projects. Here's another thing. Kings can come take your wives and make them his wives. Kings will come and take your daughters and make them his girlfriends. Kings like to take your sons and send them off into battle and get them killed because he has a beef with another nation. And he's saying to them, Be careful what you ask for because this is what comes with this. If you have a king, you better be ready for all this stuff. And what Sam was saying is, Think about this, guys. This is not a good idea for you. Not now. You're not ready. Yeah, you might get a few hits here and there, but this is not God's best for you. And how do they respond? Let's go on to the next, next verse. Even so, the people refuse to listen to his warning. Have you ever had someone come to you to counsel, and you say, this is not a good idea, here's all the reasons why, and they say, you know what, thanks, but I'm going to do it anyway. Why did you come to me in the first place? Their minds were already made up, and in God's kingdom, there are no prisoners, there's only the willing. Praise his name. If you're in his kingdom, it's voluntarily. That's why God answers so mysteriously there. They say, even so, we still want a king. We want to be like the nations around us. Our king will judge us. In other words, Samuel, you won't. We want a different, we want our king. Our king will lead us into battle. So Samuel repeated to the Lord what the people said, and the Lord replied, do as they say. Give them a king. I uh, coach, not recently because of COVID, but I coach Little League Baseball. It's not because I'm great at baseball, But I like baseball. I like base. I I like baseball. I like recreation sports. I love this community, and I like volunteering. Uh, Parents generally like having their kids on my team, and they'll tell you because you know I'll ask them why they'll request me year after year. They say, "Well, because you know you connect with my kids and you make it fun." And I think, okay, that's a nice bar to handle. and I do. I want I want kids who participate in rec sports to have fun. I had a kid on my team named JJ. JJ had all kinds of sh- sh- trouble swinging a bat and hitting a baseball, and it really frustrated him. And it frustrated his dad. Baseball's not fun when you're not hitting the ball. I'll just tell you that right now. Baseball can be a long, frustrating game when you can't make contact with a baseball. His dad was especially frustrated because dads, I don't know how to explain this. Dads, when your kids play sports, we have this weird thing going on. It's like a reflection on us somehow, how our kids play. And I've also found that dads aren't always the most receptive to their son having a coach because if you're trying to correct anything in their kid, guess where the kid learned it probably. And so as you're trying to help their kid to swing differently, the dad's getting a little defensive because he's the one that taught the kid to swing that way. Well, JJ was an awesome, fun-loving little kid, but JJ had all kinds of trouble when it came to swinging the bat. And so the dad brought JJ to me. The first, very first practice, first time I ever meet him, and the dad brings JJ to me and says, "He can't hit the ball." And I looked down at JJ. He's like, "Yeah, I don't really hit the ball that well." I was like, "All right, well, let's go over here to the side field and let's see, let's see what you got." So dad stands about, you know, eight, ten feet away over there, and he's just watching, and I, he's just anxious and nervous, almost like. You know, son, I don't want to be ashamed when the dad, you know, when coach throws the ball to you, you better hit it or I'm going to feel like I'm worthless as a dad. He's got all this wrapped up in his poor little kid standing up there. Well, JJ gets up there and I'm like, okay, let's, well, get ready in the batter's box. Show me your stance. And mean, it was messed up. I'm not going to lie. It was, it was bad. I mean, he had his hands completely apart like this, you know, like he's holding a broomstick trying to get a bat out of the dormers, you know, like he's And he's got his legs all out of place. And he's like rocking around like this. He's spitting over his shoulder. I'm like, he's six. I'm like, what are you're you not dipping tobacco. What are you doing? And he's like standing here like this. I'm like, and I just stopped for a second. I said, JJ, hold up, buddy. What what is, what's going on here? He's like, this is my stance. I'm like, JJ, you're not, you're not going to hit a baseball consistently if you stand like that. And the dad, I can just see the dad's just going like this, like, thank you. Some other human in the world has finally, you know, taught me. He's like, no, this is how I stand. I saw it on TV. I'm like, I watch a lot of baseball. There's nobody that stands like that. No, this is how I stand. And the dad is now embarrassed. The dad comes over and he tries to touch his son's hands to make his hands go. And the son
1: slaps his dad's hands.
0: And the dad just kind of backs off. He's like, I'm, I'm sorry, coach. He's like, maybe we're not right. I like, no, 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 no. Let him, let, him, let him go ahead. Is this how you want to stand? This is this how I want to stand? I'm like, all right. I throw him a pitch, and he swings, and he hits the ball. I mean, he hits a r- One of you said, oh, no. And that right there is a whole message. <laughs> it's not supposed to work. He hits the ball. I'm telling you, it was a laser beam. And I'm like, oh, man, this is not in the coach's manual. This is not. And the dad is like slack-jawed. He's like, great hit. What are you doing, dad? You're like, it's a great hit, JJ. I knew you could do it. I'm like, man, you're encouraging. And I'm like, okay, you know what? Okay, awesome. Let's get 20 baseballs. Let's see 20 hits. Okay, he gets in there. I throw 20 baseballs. He misses all 20. Throws the bat, throws the helmet. The dad's like, okay, son, come on, let's go home. We try this. like, hold up, dad. I go down, I take a knee, I look at JJ. So, what's the matter? This isn't very fun. You're right. I said, what would make this fun? If I hit the baseball? I want you to hit the baseball too. I want you to have fun. But swinging and missing the baseball is no fun. Why don't you try this? Put his hands together, get his feet straightened out. Set him up just the way you see on a baseball card. Swing that bat. Whew, swings a perfect swing. Oh, that hurts! That hurts! Swinging the right way was unnatural to him because he had swung the wrong way so many times. And try it again. Swings it again. Oh, it Okay, right, I go back on the mound. I'm gonna throw you five. I throw him a nice little soft toss. And he half heartedly swings because he really doesn't wanna hit the ball now, because that would mean that he's gonna have to change. He swings. Four more. I was like, I want you to watch this. He sets up right. I saw he hits it. Hits the next one. Hits the next one. Hits four in a row. He starts to smile. Like you having fun now, buddy? Yeah, having fun. The way the story goes is that the next time we had a baseball game, he was back. What's the point of all that? God answers this request in a strange way that people say this isn't this is what we want we want a king and God says no you don't want this you need this here's why because you're gonna yeah you're gonna run into it if you have a king you'll run into a few every now and again you'll have some good moments with Saul some good moments with David some good moments with Solomon but you know how this all ends up after your third king God knew what was gonna happen after the third king there's going to be so much taxes, so much internal strife, wealth all in the south of the kingdom, poverty in the north of the kingdom, that they're going to have a civil war and they're going to split. and They're not going to be one nation anymore. They're going to be two nations. God knows this. There's going to be 10 kingdoms in the north and, 10 in the, and two in the south. And all these people that are on the same page today, three kings from now will hate each other, kill each other. And then those two nations will eventually be conquered and they'll be living in exile if they keep doing this. But sometimes you have to say, you know what, if that's the way you really want to stand, let's see how fun this is. Well, why would you do that? Because I need them to be so dissatisfied with getting things their own way that they will finally come back around to say, maybe I ought to listen to the king. Do you realize that sometimes you probably ask God for things he shouldn't have said yes to, but he did anyway? That's sobering, isn't it? Sometimes God says yes to things we're not ready for. And then you're thinking to yourself, well, man, how does that work? So I guess God's totally free will then. Totally hands off. No, because here's what he's saying to the people in this story. I'm gonna give you what you're asking for, even though it's not my best for you, even though it's not gonna work out well for you. Not only am I gonna give you what you're asking for, but I'll be involved in it. We'll start talking about that next week. I'm gonna pick my own co-king, I'll raise up Saul, I'll raise up David, I'll raise up Solomon. I'm going to give you what you're not ready for, even though you've been disrespectful. And you know what? I'm going to do it in such a way that even though you're completely outside of my advice for you, I will use your rebellion as another instrument to try and accomplish my big purpose for your life because you've rejected me over and over and over and over and over again. And I want you to be in relationship with me voluntarily. Maybe you just need to taste the fruit of things your way for it to finally come to a point where we can circle back. And you'll say, I need a king. Not only because of it, but in spite of it, God used even their desire to get their own way as another instrument to try and call them into true relationship with him. Sometimes you have to be willing to just let that kid swing 20 times and be miserable before they finally say, I'm that miserable, I'll try something different. We see that in the story. Do you have anybody in your life that can tell you no? Is there anybody in your life that can challenge and call you out on your stuff without you turning right around and attacking them, ignoring them, pushing back against them, legitimizing bringing up their family issues, reminding them they're out of touch and irrelevant, or trying to put them in their place. Is there anybody in your life that can challenge you? Or do you only want leaders, government officials, pastors, who pretty much agree with everything you agree on already? Or do you have the hybrid approach like these guys tried? They wanted God, but they wanted a king. They wanted the parts of God that they liked, the Ark of the Covenant, being bailed out from enemies worship, but they also wanted a king that they could kind of manipulate, that agreed with them, that would let them get away and endorse the things. They wanted both. You can't have two kings not in God's kingdom. You can't take salvation and blessing and grace and prayer and unlimited access to Jesus and then customize everything else about what God brings in his kingdom. But yet a lot of us are no better off Than the elders in this story we want our cake and we want to eat it too we want a god who endorses everything about us and when god speaks up about your views on race your views on marriage your views on money your views on taxes your view on pastors you just decide not in that area i want to be like the world i want what i want there so we pick and choose and after a while God's gonna say okay let's see how that works out for you for a while And you might run into a few every now and then and get a few wins. But at the end of the day, it's going to leave you in a much worse place. You ignore wise spiritual counsel at your own peril. Do you have somebody in your life that can challenge you today? Do you need a leader who will challenge you? Do you need a God who is unlike you or one who's exactly like you? Only the God unlike you can transform you. You don't want a God who's exactly like you. They'll leave you exactly how you are. I need a God who's unlike me. I need a God who's unlike me. A God who won't give up on me when time after time after time after time I fail. And you come to a point where you say, man, I am so miserable because now I recognize how wrong I am and how mad God must be because he's seen me mess up all the way along. I could never repay a God like that. And he says, you don't have to. My son anticipated this moment and has already gone before you and has redeemed you, has bought you back. Are you ready to come into the kingdom? Yes, I'm ready to come into the kingdom. If you come into the kingdom, I'm going to love you. I'm going to be gracious to you. I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to draw I'm going to teach you to be dependent, not independent. Okay. I want that. I don't like my way. I prefer your way. Let's pray. Maybe you need to cry out to God today and just say, "God, I am so sorry. I confess to you that I've been living life my own way. Worship team, you can come back. I've been living life my own way. My own right and wrong. I've ignored correction when it came to me. I push back against the boundaries. I prioritize the things that are uncomfortable and I put off the things that are uncomfortable. I don't treat people the way I want to be treated. I hold people to a higher standard than I hold myself. I want grace for my own mistakes and judgment for the mistakes of others. I don't like my opinions to be challenged. I don't like to be told no. And for all of those reasons and so many more, I need delivered. I am lost, I am lost, I am lost, and I need a savior. So Jesus, I confess to you I'm a sinner. I confess my belief in you. I have faith to believe you're God's son. You lived a sinless life. You died on the cross in my place. You rose from the dead. You paid off my debt to your father. I want to have a relationship with God through you, Jesus. I accept forgiveness for my sins, and I choose to come into your kingdom and I bow your knee, bow my knee to your leadership, your Lordship, your kingship in my life. God help each and every one of us walk from this place with a softer heart of grace for how we parent, or for how we're parented, for how we're lead, for how we lead and how we follow. Help us understand as followers better ways of bringing to our leaders issues that need to be resolved where we can put tough issues on the table, but do it respectfully and with honor. Help us also be aware as leaders in various capacities of our life in moments where we don't need to take things personally that were never meant to be personal. Give us insight to see the brokenness of vertical relationships when they manifest in horizontal relationships. And help us as a church to be one that is not weak-spined and wishy-washy, but that don't get threatened by challenge because challenge will either make us hold tighter to the truth that's already been revealed or it will correct an error and move us towards the truth. There's nothing to be worried about with challenges. They're going to draw us closer to the truth. We thank you, God, for not giving up on us when we don't get it. We want to be the people in the church you've called us to be. In your mighty name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Echo Community Church Podcast. If today's message impacted you, or you want to talk about one of the topics we discussed today, email us at info at echochurchmd.com. We would love to connect with you online. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube by searching our church name, Echo Community Church. Send a message or leave a comment to at echocommunitychurch, and let's continue the conversation. And if you live locally in Baltimore County, Maryland, we invite you to our Sunday worship experience. You can find out more on our website at echochurchonline.com.